Amen. Amen. Uh, would you open up your Bibles to the book of James? We're going to be in chapter 5, verse 12, and only verse 12. And while you're, while you're, while you're going there, um, I'm going to tell you just a small story. Uh, a couple weeks ago, uh, my, my wife and kids and I went on a little trip, a little backpacking trip, and we, uh, we went and, and I got for Father's Day this thing called a grail. Isn't that like the best name for a water filter, a grail, like the holy water, it turns dirty water into clean water, and it was, it was awesome. And so you get this, this grail and you just scoop up whatever water, and you push down on it and you got fresh water, about a liter at a time, and it's awesome. And so we're, we're hiking and we got three kids with us and my wife and a couple other people and we're hiking and, and I'm the only person that has a filter, so if anybody runs out of water, we got to stop at this beautiful crystal clear, I might add, we probably did not need this heavy duty water purifier to clear. You could probably go in and just drink the water straight because you could see the bottom. It was just fine. But I went down because everybody said they were thirsty and they'd run out of water. Okay. And so the, the, the stream was on a small cliff. We're talking like 10 feet and you, you scramble down with rocks and I was on a rock and you had to reach down like this to pull it up and my wife has her phone out and she's taking a beautiful video of this amazing place. And my sister-in-law says, you know, if you're going to fall, fall now in the water, to which I roll my eyes, right? Like, thanks. We're not even halfway to our destination. If I fall now, I've got a cell phone in my pocket. I've got, you know, all the things there. Not to mention, this is like glacier water. It's so cold. I'm not falling in this. And so I scooped it up. And the, the idea of this filter is you put the top on the bottom cup and then you push it down. And so luckily I thought, this is really stupid to stand on this little rock right next to a stream I could fall into and freeze and push this thing down. I'm not, I'm not that dumb. Okay, God's looking out for me. It's all right. So I take the filter and I put it up next to me before I try to pick myself up. And I'm right next to a tree. And then I think to myself, we're in the forest. This would be really bad if I fell in because a stupid branch broke. And so I took my arm and I put it up on this branch. That The rule that I always heard as a kid was, if the branch is bigger than your arm or bigger than your leg, you're okay. Right? You can put your weight on that. You can climb on that. And so I put my arm on it and I press, and I press down hard, right? I know, I'm, I'm not skinny. Right? I'm, I'm not weighing less than 100 pounds. I'm a bigger guy. I like food. So I push down hard. It doesn't give. Everything's okay. And so I pick myself up and I push hard. And what do I hear is crack, crack. And the branch that I have all my weight on gives way. I fall backwards into the water, clutching this tree as hard as I can because I know there's a cell phone in my pocket. And I don't know about you, but these things cost like five, six, seven hundred dollars. I don't just have that laying around just to buy a new cell phone. Plus, I got all this information on my cell phone. I'd be lost and a whole slew of people up there. And what do I hear? Not, are you okay? Dad, are you okay? No, my 13-year-old daughter clapping and laughing as loud as she can. Yes, yes, because it's on video. You can go to Instagram and see the video. I'm not lying. I didn't, actually. I took the phone out as fast as I could and tossed it up to, to Brittany, and she got it dry. It was just a little bit wet. I think it's okay. I've been using it, at least. Everybody look to your partner, somebody right next to you, close to you, and say, trust me. 
I didn't, I didn't, I didn't feel that. I don't even know. How about this one? Look to somebody next to you and say, I'm trying. To trust again. Now follow with me here. James has been talking in this chapter about all of the things that could come against you. He's talking about rich being judged. He's talking about oppression. He's talking about things that hurt you in life. He's talking about suffering, and he's telling you how to deal with it. He's talking about prayer. He's talking about what to do in life. He's being very, very practical. In fact, in the last couple uh, verses, in fact, in, in uh, verse 9, he says, don't grumble against one another lest you be condemned. He says, my brethren, take the prophets of the Lord in the name of the suffering and be patient. Indeed, we count them blessed. He's giving all of these things, these advices. He's giving all of this rich, great knowledge. And then he comes to our verse today, verse 12, and he says, but above all, my brethren, do not swear either by heaven or by earth or by any other oath, but let your less, yes be let yes, let your no be no. I read that, and I tried to read it, and I read it in context, and I, I, I looked at a bunch of things, and it seemed odd. Above all, like more important, important than being patient, more important than taking this to God in prayer, more, above all, don't swear. What? James, this seems a little bit odd. But let's give this a little more context. Let's give it a little more color. This might remind you of a similar verse that Jesus said, right? Back in the Gospel of Matthew, he's talking, it's like the Sermon on the Mount, and he says, let your yes be yes, let your no be no, be no. don't swear by the temple, don't swear by God, don't swear by heaven, don't even swear by your head. And if we don't understand kind of what's going on, then we can't understand the context of what James is talking about and what Jesus was talking about. So if there would be one group of people, if you know the Gospels at all, if there's one group of people Jesus continually had bad things to say about, who do you think that would be? That's okay, you're right. You can say it louder. Don't say it timidly. Louder. Who was it? Pharisees, right? If Jesus said the Pharisees if they said, don't be like, you can almost bet it was going to come out the Pharisees. Don't be like, I know, those group of people over there. He didn't have very many good things to say about them. And here's one of the reasons why. See, the Pharisees came up with this intricate way of swearing oaths to people. Like different levels of how you swear something. Like if you swear on the temple, it was somehow lesser of an offense if you broke that oath than if you swore upon God himself or heaven. Or if you swore upon the hair of your head, it would be a different level of swearing an oath than saying swearing on the city of Jerusalem. And so there was all these and way more intricate. Like that's a really broad overview. Way more intricate than that. And so it's this intricate level of contract and Things, it, uh, it, here's all, here's the, what you really need to know about it. They were creating loopholes for themselves so that they can get out of what they didn't want to actually do. And so Jesus and James are saying, 
well, just let your yes be yes and your no be no. Like, don't swear. Don't, don't make an oath that you can't keep. And James says, don't make oaths. God's not our wish granter. He's not our genie. He's not someone that we come to and we have a wish list like Santa Claus and say, this is, this is what I want. And so if we look at what James has been saying, if you come to this point in life, and maybe you've been oppressed by someone, maybe you've been let down by someone, maybe you put your weight on the branch metaphorically and it gave way and you got wet and things are hard. And you're about ready to get to a place where you're, you're ready to make a bargain. You're, you're ready to make a bargain with God. You're ready to say, God, if, if only you would give me this next deal, I, I, I'd serve you more. I'd pray more. God, if only you would make my wife or my husband love me just a little bit more. If only you would change this part about it. I'm ready to make a deal, right? That's a game show. That's not God. But so many of us feel that way because we've been beat up. And all we can keep saying is, I'm trying to trust again. God, I'm trying to trust you again. I'm trying to trust the fact that your plan for my life is better than what my plan is. I'm trying to see the light at the end of the tunnel. I'm trying to see that there's something more to this. I'm, I'm trying to trust you again. But you know, one of the names of God is Jehovah Tsuri. God is my rock. He's the rock of my circumstances. He's the Lord of glory. And what that really means is he's the Lord of my life. And whatever that is going through and whatever we are going through, it means that he is still God. He's still the one to rely on. But I'll tell you what, it's not easy. It's not easy to get up every morning and say, God, I'm still relying on you, even though this situation in my life is still hard. It's not easy to get up every day and say, God, I'm trying to trust you again, but this part of my life still hurts. I still need to pay rent. That person still is coming against me. I'm still trying to serve you every single day. I'm still just trying to see the light at the end of the tunnel. Maybe my family's gone astray. Maybe my kids have gone astray. Maybe the fact that I don't see evidence of you working in my life is just getting old, and so I'm trying. Everybody say, I'm trying to trust again. Do you think you're alone? I'm, I'm sorry, I didn't know everybody here had it together. Does everybody have it together in here? Okay, okay, everybody, I'm trying. You're not alone. In the book of Genesis, I, I love some of the stories, I love the Old Testament. They're stories, okay? And the stories of things so ring true to us today, right? And people will say, you know, I, they'll walk around and say, I, I only read the New Testament. And they'll say, like, I, you know, like there's some kind of superior. The Old Testament's got all these things and it's kind of boring, right? I don't want to read the same old stories again. So read it. Read the color. Don't keep saying it's boring. Anybody think the Old Testament's boring? It's okay. You can admit it. We're in church. Tell the truth. It's not boring. 
So open your Bibles to the book of Genesis. Flip back there. And while you're going there, let me give you some some context to what we're going to be talking about a little bit. There was this guy in Genesis named Abraham, right? And Abraham's story starts in a city where he's serving, where he's got a wife and he has no children. And that was extremely important in his culture that you had children. It was a sign of wealth. It was a sign of status. It was a sign of respect. And so for him to have no children was really not good. He also stood to inherit from his father. It was a place where he had some comfort, some safety, but not everything was right. Anybody feel like maybe one or two things, if they were just, they were just changed, they were just right. If maybe one or two things were just, just, just a little bit different, then I feel like God was there. Maybe just one or two things was just a, a little bit different. I, I could follow him more. Maybe just one or two things were just promised to me. I'd follow God better. And so Abraham's kind of in that space, but God doesn't make a promise to Abraham. He just comes and says, Abraham, I want you to get up and I want you to go. And he doesn't tell him where to go. He just says, go follow me. And Abraham says, okay, all right, you're God. I'll take this one step of faith. I'll I'll, I'll do this one time. And God says, keep following me. And Abraham keeps following him. And God says, keep following me. And Abraham follows him to Egypt, where his wife's kind of taken from him. And he does some shady dealings, right? The Pharaoh gets his wife for a little bit. And then God says, follow me out. And Abraham says, I'll follow you. And then his nephew leaves him. He gets captured by evil people. Abraham has to rescue him again. And God keeps telling me, follow you. Follow me. I'm sorry. He keeps telling Abraham, follow me, follow me, follow me. And I will make you father of great nations. But Abraham's old. His wife is old. Abraham's losing faith. Have you ever feel like, you know, I, I've been trying to follow God. I've been trying to do His will in my life. I've been trying to see what He has because I know, I feel like He's good. At least He, he says He's good and he's made, he's made some promises to other people and I feel like His will should be good for me, but, you know, I'm tired. Well, that's kind of where we find Abraham and what we're going to peek in on him today. He's tired. He's been running. He's been running after things. He's been trying to chase after God. And he's been waiting. It's been a long time since God said, I'm going to make you a father of many nations. And yet, month after month, day after day, week after week, his wife Sarah is not pregnant. So he comes to God. And he says this, chapter 15, uh, verse 2. It says, Lord God, what will you give me, seeing I go childless? And the heir of my house is Eleazar of Damascus. And Abraham said, Look, you've given me no offspring. Indeed, one born in my house is my heir. He's saying, I, I don't have a kid. You say, follow you. You say, you're going to make me a father of nations. You say, you're going to make my wife pregnant. You're going to do all of these things, God. You say, you're the provider. And yet, I don't see any evidence you take the tone of this, you can almost hear Abraham saying, God, I'm trying to trust you still. I'm trying to trust you again. I'm trying to see the light at the end of the tunnel. I'm trying to see the fact, God, that that person is eventually going to come around. 
I'm trying to see that you want good in my life still. I'm trying to see the fact that you have a promise for me. You can almost hear him say, God, I'm, I'm trying, but this is what I see. Anybody get to the point where you say, God, I'm, I'm trying, but everything around me doesn't look like you're there. Everything around me doesn't look like you're going to make good on this. Everything around me doesn't, doesn't seem like you actually want good in my life. I counseled somebody a couple weeks ago on the phone that they've been going through, man, just some rough, rough times. And one of the things they said to me was, they just said, you know, I, I really felt like God called me to do this, but everything is so hard. Why is everything so hard? And I just don't see why or where God's going to come through here. And I wish, I wish I had some kind of foresight into the future. Like, I wish I had a word from the Lord in that minute where I could just say, you know what, God told me this, and in this many days it's going to happen. It's just, I, wish, I wish I had that, and I didn't. But I, I could remember this, and I just remember thinking, you know, this guy's trying to trust God again. He's in a place where he's just, I'm just trying. And Abraham's in that place right now. He's just saying, God, I'm, I'm trying to trust you again. And James says when we get to that place where we're just trying to trust him again, that's where we're in danger. That's where we're in danger of saying, God, if only you do this, I will do that. When you make a contract with him. If only you do whatever. If only you make it better. If only you bring me a little more success. If only you make me a little happier. If only you make me a little bit better. And I don't trivialize these things. They're hurtful. They're hard. And I have been there. Okay? I, I've been there. I've been on my knees trying to bargain and make deals with God. It doesn't go your way. And that's what James is warning against. But Abraham is there and he's saying, God, I'm trying to see, but I don't see. And so verse 4 says, Behold, the word of the Lord came to him, saying, This one whom this one shall not be your heir, but one who shall come from your own body. Then he brought him outside and said, Now look toward the heaven and count the stars if you're able to number them. And he said to him, So shall your descendants be. And Abraham believed the Lord, and he accounted it to him as righteousness. That's a hard place. No evidence. God, God doesn't say, here's the evidence. God doesn't say, here's my side of it. He just says, no, look, look to the stars. I, I'm going to make your descendants as numerous as the stars. And Abraham believed him. And one of the reasons that Abraham is a pillar of faith is for this right here, is because he had faith in God and what he said before God did anything. But I love this because I almost think that God does what he does next for everyone after it because Abraham does it but he does it for Abraham too so that Abraham would understand this next part is kind of obscure and if you don't if you haven't heard it before I'm going to explain what it means but listen he says then I am the Lord who brought you out of Ur of the Chaldeans to give you the land and inheritance and he said Lord God how shall I know I will inherit it and God said to him bring me a three-year-old heifer a three-year-old female goat a three-year-old ram and a turtle dove and a young pigeon. Then he brought all these things to him and cut them in two down the middle and placed each piece opposite of the other. 
but he did not cut the birds in two. When the vultures came down on the carcasses, Abram drove them away. What in the heck is going on? Abraham's vulnerable. He's opened himself up. He's like, God, I'm here. Show me what you do. And God's like, go get some animals. What? I'm not on a farm, God. And if you were, and I were here today and God said, go get some animals, how weird do you think that would be? That'd be weird. God, go get some animals. What do you mean? I got a dog. I got two dogs. One of them you can cut in half. <laughs> right? Anybody have one of those dogs? <laughs> it's okay. You can have this one. We'll call it a sacrifice. Wink, wink. I'm just kidding. My kids hopefully don't listen to this message ever. I would never kill your dog. God might, but no, I'm just kidding. Anyway, where was I? It's weird to ask for animals and what God's doing, but that's not what God is doing. He's not being weird. He's talking to somebody in the context of his time. If, if he were talking to us today, he would say, go get a lawyer and a contract and a notary because God's about to make a contract with Abraham. And how a contract works is that there's things that one person does and things that the other person does, and we both agree to do it, and we're going to sign our names to it, and there's consequences if each one of us breaks it. Well, in this relationship, Abraham's taking all of these animals, and he's cutting them in two and laying one half here, one half there. And in those days, the person you're making the covenant or contract with would join hands with you, and you'd walk between them, and you would speak the agreement. And it's a very visual depiction of what should happen to either one of you should you break the agreement. Does everybody get what I know? One half of the animal's here, the other half of the animal's here. We're not watching a Disney movie. These things are dead. If you break the contract or I break the contract, we're supposed to die. And so Abraham understands, ah, oh, God's making a deal with me. He's, he's going to show me how much he cares. He's going to show me how much he loves me. He's going to show me how much and how serious he is about this by saying, if I don't make good on the fact that I'm going to make your descendants as num numerous as the stars, let this happen to me. And so Abraham gets ready. He gets ready to make a contract with God. But here's, here's the thing. Here's the beautiful thing about God. Listen to this. Now, Verse 12, when the sun goes down and a deep sleep fell upon Abraham and behold, horror and great darkness fell upon him. Then he said to Abraham, know certainly that your descendants will be strangers in the land that is not theirs and will serve them and they will afflict them 400 years and the nation whom they serve, I will judge. Afterwards, they will come out with great possessions. Now as for you, you shall go to your fathers in peace. You shall be buried in a good old age. And in the fourth generation, they shall return here for the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. And it came to pass when the sun went down and it was dark, that behold, there appeared a smoking oven and a burning torch that passed between the two pieces. And on the same day, the Lord made a covenant with Abraham saying, to your descendants, I've given this land from the river of Egypt to the great river Euphrates, to the Canaanites, the Kezizites, the Cademanites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Rephraim, and Amorites, and Canaanites, Girgashites, and the Jebusites. There's a lot of people in that land. What happened? It's like one person signed the contract and the other didn't and agreed that the contract was binding. You see, here's what God is saying. Abraham, I know. 
And I keep saying Abraham. He's Abram at this time. And I could go back and explain that. God changes his name to make it, put the in it, which is godly and all those things. And I'll do that sometime. And if you have questions about it, come talk to me afterwards. So just know this is Abraham. Abram, it's the same dude. But God is telling him, I know you're trying to trust me again. I know you're trying to see my promise. And so rather than making a covenant between both of us, rather than both of us signing this contract that I know you can't keep anyway, Abraham, sleep because I'm going to do it all. That's the fastest way to trust somebody. Did you know that? To go out of your way, to do something for them that you have no intention on getting anything from. That's the fastest way to trust. And so instead of offering something of you to God and expecting something back, God says this, if I don't deliver on what I've promised you, everything will come undone. Let this be done to me. And you know, we can look at this Old Testament covenant that God made with Abraham and say, that's really cool. God, God went down and he, he passed through that so Abraham didn't have to. He, he gave him this confidence. It was awesome. But what, what can I do to understand how, just how far God's willing to go? What can I do to understand that I, I can trust him again? Because there's time right now, I don't, I, that doesn't mean anything to me. Like I'm sitting here, I'll draw up a contract and get ready. I'll, you want cows? We can go that way towards the mountain. There's cows. We'll cut them in half. We'll walk. What is it that I can look at that God says, I will do this because I love you and I want you to trust me? You can only look at Jesus. Because the fulfillment of this covenant is fulfilled on the cross. You see, here's the thing is God did make a covenant with Abraham. And he was the only one who passed through it. And the covenant with Abraham was Abraham would make God his Lord. That was, that was the only thing that Abraham was required to do, was to continue to follow. And so God's covenant with him is just said, just trust me. Just trust me. I won't hold you to a physical accountability of it be, to break this contract, but I want you to trust me. And that's Abraham's side of it. That's our side of it. Just, just trust me. Just trust me that I want good for your life. Just trust me that the stars are out there. Just trust me that this is not going to be forever. Trust me that I am good. And we can't do that. See, we've, we've broken this contract. But the fulfillment of it is the cross because it's Jesus saying, I know you broke it anyway, but I'm going to pay the price for you. So everyone say, I'm trying to trust again. But I see Jesus on the cross willing to go so, so far just to get me. Just so that I can see that I can trust him. Just so that I know this isn't forever. Just so that I know this is not going to be the end of my story. Just so that I know God isn't finished with me yet. So that he would go to the ends of the earth. He would go no matter what. He would go to the depths of hell just to find you. Just to bring you back to him. And so when you get to the place where you say, I'm trying 
to trust again. You're not like me on the side of a river trying to test a log and make sure you don't fall in and get wet and everyone laugh at you. See, no, it's not something stationary. It's not something metaphorical. It's a physical human person that is the Lord of the universe reaching out his hand and saying, grab my hand and trust me. I've already proven it. I've already gone to the ends of the earth. I've already endured the cross for you. I've already done everything. Just trust me. And so there's some, pe- some people sitting in here today, I know, because I've prayed and prayed over this. I know it, it, it's true. You're trying. You're trying to trust him again. Right? There was, the, there was the story that Jesus was talking to a man whose kid had been possessed and he'd had some infirmities and Jesus says, believe. And he said, God, I believe. Help my unbelief. Right? You're there. God, I believe. Help my unbelief. And I'm trying to trust I'm trying, but I don't see it. Jesus says, I understand. But when you reach out your hand, his hands have holes in them because he will prove to you before you even need to trust his demonstrated love, his demonstrated commitment, and his demonstration of his firm promise that he does want good for you. He wants you to get up. He wants you to keep going. He wants you to trust in Him. And so someday, someday, I'm not saying it's right now, right? I'm not naive. I'm not naive to think that you can go from this place and just say, okay, I'm good now. Everything's great. Pastor said it was awesome. I'm, I'm going to trust. No, I'm saying you can continue to get there and say, I'm tr- I'm, God, I'm trying to trust you. I'm trying to trust you. But you know what? It is possible. And you can trust Him. How do you know that? Because Jesus is the fulfillment of the promise that you can trust what God said. So can you trust him? Of course you can trust him. But if not, you can say, I'm trying to trust you again. And today, if, you, if you're not there, if you're not at a point where you can say, yeah, I'm ready. Okay, I'm ready to trust. I'm ready to trust again. I'm ready to see the future the way God says it's supposed to be. I'm ready to see the circumstance in my life change. I'm ready to see the fact that God wants good in my life again. It's okay. Look, his disciples said the same thing. They needed time. They needed time with him. And that's how you know him. And that's how you can trust him. More time. More time. More time. Continue to ask him, God, I'm trusting you. I'm trying to trust you. Help me see. Let's pray. Father.